welcome to Let's Talk About Life, a weekly podcast brought to you by Life Bank, the organ, eye, and tissue recovery agency in Northeast Ohio. Donation can be a complicated subject, but it is really all about life. So spend a few minutes as we unravel the complexities of donation. So come on, let's talk about life. We often say it takes a village to facilitate the organ donation process from recovery to transplantation. When an individual meets medical criteria for organ donation and in collaboration with the family, the donation process begins. The Life Bank Care team medically manages the patient until the recovery is complete. The care team is made up of critical care professionals, social workers, and physicians who work together to ensure that the precious gifts of life are viable for transplant and as successful as possible for the recipient. Hi, you're listening to episode 56 of Let's Talk About Life. I'm your host, Colleen Gerber, kidney recipient and LifeBank staff member. One of the vital roles on the care team is the LifeBank medical director. We are fortunate to have three esteemed physicians with whom LifeBank consults, Dr. Michael Joyce, Dr. Dan Levovitz, and Dr. Samir Latifi. We have the pleasure of talking with Dr. Latifi, who practices pediatric critical care medicine at Cleveland Clinic main campus, and will share what his role looks like with LifeBank. Samir, thank you so much for talking with me. And as a pediatric critical care specialist, you work with very young and very ill patients. That's right. As a pediatric ICU physician, we really take care of babies from the newborn period. So a newborn could have gone home or actually might have very specific congenital problems, for example, like a congenital heart disease. That will mean that they need to come to our cardiac ICU at Cleveland Clinic Children. And I get to do that. Or we will also look after up to young adults. So actually, pediatricians care for patients up to age 16. So that's very interesting and rewarding to look after such a wide range of patients and seeing their different as their development changes. It really keeps me on my toes. Samira, can you share how you got involved with LifeBank? My journey into donation and the process of transplantation, how that happens, really began in the UK. You can't tell from my accent. I was actually born and grew up in the UK. But I had come to Cleveland many years ago to do my specialist training in intensive care and pediatrics at Rainbow and left in 2003 to go back to England. And it was while working there in Cambridge in England, the National Health Service had a reorganization of how transplantation and donation takes place. And that's how I got involved and in the process of donation and donor management. That was really rewarding to see how developing standardized guidelines for donor management would lead to the more organs being recovered per donor, which is a a metric that we use and realize that with good ICU care, we can really maximize that donor's gift. When I moved back to the Cleveland area because my significant other is actually from Western Pennsylvania and this is very close to her home. 
And so coming back, it was actually very natural for me to seek out how can I continue my interest in donation. And LifeBank being this region's organ procurement organization, or OPO, I sort of got in touch. And it did help that the medical director, Dr. Lebovitz, is actually a good friend because he's also a pediatric intensivist and we're quite a small world. And knowing of my interest and involvement in the UK, he really felt it would be great for the organization to have like another set of eyes come in and look at how things are being done here and what had I learned in England. And so that's how I got involved. And so I joined LifeBank in 2012 as the Associate Medical Director. Well, we're so fortunate to have both you and Dr. Dan. And it's a coincidence that you're both pediatricians. And we want to point out that you handle adult donor cases as well. Yes, that's right. It is a sort of coincidence and a, a bit unusual for a medical director for an OPO that we are both pediatricians. Usually you have someone who's based more on adult, either sort of surgery or transplant surgery or as an adult physician in the ICU. And then you would have an associate medical director who's the sort of pediatrician to help with the pediatric donors. And depending where you are in the country, but generally it's at least sort of 10 to 15% of our donors will be in the pediatric age group. And so to have that input for Dan and myself, like I said, we frequently look after young adults in a pediatric ICU setting, but also my training in the UK where we do adult medicine actually first before we go into pediatrics. I'm actually very comfortable with managing adults. Actually, in my daytime job in working in a congenital heart cardiac ICU, we look after critically ill adults, you know, up into their 30s and 40s um, who have congenital heart disease issues and are in the ICU. So the principles are actually very similar to how we look after adult donors. And we have really excellent bedside transplant coordinators who tend to have quite a bit of varied background but could range from being either previous ICU nurses or respiratory therapists. And so they're very familiar in that ICU environment of how to manage donors. And that's what Dan and I do. You know, every case is discussed with the medical director to help guide management, uh, as I've mentioned, that we know with very good and diligent ICU care that's also provided by a regional hospital that we can really maximize the gift from each donor every time. And that's so important. We think of the waiting list compared to the number of donors in the U.S. each year, and to get every gift possible is so, so important. Your role really is to assist the LifeBank critical care team in making sure the donor remains stable and that the recovery can take place. That's right. So the management actually of a donor who is brain dead or as we say now, neurologically deceased can be very, very tricky because the normal checks and balances of vital functions of organs in the body has been lost because the brain is not there anymore regulating it. So we have to do that with the help of medication and the technologies and ventilators 
so that we can keep the organs in as good a condition until recovery can happen. And often the management of that donor can go on for like a couple of days before we get things stabilized out. Because as you can imagine, when someone has such a catastrophic brain injury that they end up neurologically deceased, that's someone who's been very, very sick to begin with. And so we have to stabilize that donor to get to the point where we can truly assess all the different organs see how well they're working. It takes time to find the right recipient to do the cross-match so that we can get the right organ to the right recipient. Having those organs in the best condition is what leads to better outcomes, and that we know. And that's really rewarding when you see the information shared after a donor case is finished and which organs are recovered. Even if it's just one organ, we're always really excited about that. That's one more life that we've impacted. One more life saved, and that's really precious for us. So now I'm going to ask you something that we hear in the public a lot, the community outreach side. A lot of people feel if you are a registered donor, that physicians aren't going to try to save your life and instead move quickly to organ donation and recovery. What would you say to that? That's just a totally false myth. When someone comes in to the emergency department with severe injuries after an accident, the medical team is they're not looking for your driver's license, trying to figure out what's your registry status. We're taking care of that individual to really make sure that they have the best chance of surviving their injuries. That's the focus of, of the medical team from when it starts with the paramedic at the scene of the accident to the emergency department to when they're in the OR and coming to the ICU. We want to see that individual recover. Actually, that's how hospitals function. They get rewarded for making you better. We do know that when you do really excellent care of that individual who comes in either like after a trauma or a stroke and are very aggressive, with their intensive care, that we get better outcome and recovery. However, sometimes we find the injuries are too great and we're not going to see recovery of that individual. Only then, at that time, does the focus change to offering the possibility of donation. So there's a very distinct ethical framework in which we all work so that we don't mix the two situations in practice. I see that when I'm practicing every day, and I think the public should really feel reassured that that's how we all work. Samir, you have been a ringside to multiple stories of the power of donation and what that means, not only for the recipients, but for the families. Can you speak to that a little bit? What you Just your overall feeling of organized and tissue donation? We have two transplant centers here in, in Northeast Ohio in Cleveland, University Hospitals, as well as the Cleveland Clinic. And I've trained, you know, did my training at one place and working at the other place and have seen transplants throughout my training. And, you know, in my early days, when you did a transplant, I really had no idea where these organs came from. And it was when I was back in England that then I understood where these organs come from. 
that sometimes it's going to be a patient that I'm looking after where I've tried my best, but unfortunately the brain injury is too much and I know that they're not going to make a recovery or that they have ended up neurologically deceased despite all our best efforts. Then what happens? I have found when you go to the families of someone that they have just lost because they're, they're brain dead, and then we explain, hey, what happens next? And one of the possibilities is for eye tissue and organ donation. Most people, I'd say almost the vast majority of folks who love that individual are like, we can do what? And as a pediatrician, you're talking to you know the parents usually, and when they discover that's a possibility, they really do feel like this is some good that can come out of this tragic situation. And I really feel that there's no question it does provide some comfort in their grief. And for adults who are registered donors, when you share that with their loved ones, they're going to want to respect those wishes as well. Um, I think it really makes them feel proud that their loved one was willing to give that gift as well. And when I work on the other end and you see the recipients receiving an organ and how grateful they are for that life, it's very, very rewarding to me to, to see that. It is. And, and we are so blessed to work with these families at LifeBank. Not only are the donors heroes, but in some ways the families are just as heroic for working with us and thinking of others and giving others the second chance of life. Absolutely. Samira, thank you so much for talking with me. Okay. We hope you found today's episode inspiring and informative. Let's Talk About Life can be found on iTunes, Google Music, Spotify, and other podcast providers. And of course, on lifebank.org. We encourage you to subscribe and invite you back next week. And come on, let's talk about life. Thank you for listening to Let's Talk About Life. If you have questions about today's podcast, reach out to us at info at lifebank.org. Take a few minutes to do something heroic and register to be an organ donor by saying yes at lifebank.org. Literally, someone's life is depending on it.